You're listening to Beyond Colouring In, a podcast about geographical ideas, concepts and methods. I'm Ben Garlick, an academic lecturer in geography working at York St John University. Welcome. In each episode of Beyond Colouring In, I'll be engaging fellow geographers in conversation to explore a variety of key concepts and research methods. These chats are intended to provide you with an engaging introduction, or perhaps an alternative way in, to some of the central approaches and ideas in the study of academic geography today. These episodes can be listened to in any order, and we aim to add new episodes all the time, covering more and more of this exciting, diverse and ever-changing subject, whilst reminding people that geography is so much more than colouring in. So, what do geographers do when they want to understand how place, landscapes or environments were used by people in the past? What about how those people thought about their surroundings, organised them, struggled over them or sought to shape them? What of the power relations, competing interests, inclusions and exclusions that at one time or another have influenced the sites we encounter today? As Alan Baker remarks, forays into the history of a place raise particular challenges for the geographer. We can't directly observe many of the processes that shaped the landscape in the past, nor can we engage with those who lived in, worked on or traversed those places in many instances in ways that might help enliven what he terms a now, quote, dead reality. As Baker Riley observes, the dead can't answer questionnaires. Instead, geographers are prompted to engage with the great and diverse range of records and materials that those people and their activities left behind, and to try to piece together from those sources, in their often fragmentary and partial state, a sense of the past geographical processes and relations that made a place what it is. The array of sources that one draws on in this way is commonly referred to as the archive, and it is to archival methods that today's discussion will attend. So how do archives represent history? What knowledge do they produce? How does an archive bring about a particular way of knowing a place? Who or what is left out? I'm delighted to say that I'm joined in conversation today by Dr Sue Fitzpatrick, lecturer and geographer at York St John University, to think about the practices, problems and potentials of working in and with archival sources in geography. Um, it should be said from the outset that beings both Sue and I are, are human geographers, our discussion will primarily concentrate on the use of archival methods in that context. That doesn't mean, by the way, that archival sources can't play an incredibly important role in environmental or physical geography research. For example, first-hand accounts of extreme weather events in the past, images that are produced and, and show former landscape features or vegetation, for example, in works of art, reports or writings that feature environmental observations. All of these can and, and often are be used to reconstruct previous environmental conditions. But for today, at least, we'll be leaving those considerations to one side for now. As ever, we have flagged some readings that might help to explain or expand on the key concepts or methods under discussion. You can find details of these in the episode notes or via the YSJ Geography blog website. But for now, let's get started. Sue, thank you for joining me and welcome to Beyond Colouring In. Pleasure, Ben. Pleasure, Ben. 
So to start us off, um, Sue, why don't you start telling me a little bit about how you have used archives in some of your own research? I started using archives for the first time, really, about five, six years ago. I began to look at the archives of new towns in the UK and my starting point was the new town of Warrington um, where I happen to have grown up. It's quite an interesting case study the the UK new town in terms of archives and in terms of considering how an archive constructs the meaning of a place. What you've got with with new towns is what was called a development corporation um, that was set up by central government to actually design and deliver these new towns from 1945 to the late 1970s. And by and large, they left behind archives. What I've found out in the course of the last five years is that not every development corporation archive is kind of, is particularly accessible, is particularly catalogued. Some of them are, are in a bit of a parlour state and I was actually um, involved in a funding bid to the Wellcome Trust a couple of years back that sought to identify those, the, the counties, the sort of local archives that held development corporation holdings but needed to catalogue them and needed to sort of make them accessible. When I started looking at Warrington, I found that there was this very comprehensive and very well catalogued archive of Warrington Newtown Development Corporation. And full disclosure, at the very beginning of this project, I had no idea what I was looking for. I had no research questions written down. I was going to that archive um, in Chester. It's the local archive office in Chester with no real sense of what I was looking for. I was able to look, as you often can with local archives, you can actually look in advance of your visit on a website. It gives a very brief definition of what is, is kind of different boxes might hold very brief and you can then go to that local archive in advance and say can you get box WTN 147 out for me. I asked for about probably maybe five or six boxes on my first visit and I worked through those across the course of a week and I was literally just reading through just trying to kind of orientate myself around what was this very big archive. Hopefully our students, if they if they do use archives, they will be going to an archive with some sense of a research question in mind. Obviously, <laughs> for me, it was it was actually really motivated by a good old fashioned sense of nosiness. You know what mm. what was going on in the minds of the people who designed the place that I actually grew up in. Um, so it was a kind of a personal kind of mm. motivation that I had. What's come through over the last five years is a number of things. Um, there's been two photographic exhibitions that have happened in Warrington um, that largely residents of the town have kind of engaged with, but all manner of staff from that development corporation have got in contact over the years as well. So I've managed to interview the principal architect and planner mm. for that development corporation, two of the, the the main sort of landscape designers. These people have retired now, mm. but we are talking about an in-living memory mm. archive, actually, mm. um, in the sense that those stories that I'm reading about, those people are still alive. Mm. Um, and, and I can, in fact, go to some of those people named in that archive and actually interview mm. them. So it's different from a lot of stuff that you read about archives as methods in the sense that it's kind of li- in living memory. I think that's yeah. in living sort of history. So that, that does sort of differentiate it. And also, as I say, 
the fact that it's an archive that is you can't say complete but you mm. can say comprehensive mm. so it becomes this this source of knowledge of this place but then what you start to do is you start to think well okay this is a social process this this manner of you know getting these materials together and keeping these materials is a social process mm. what is that telling us about the actual new town and how we can make sense of it over yeah. time I think that's a fantastic overview of some of the ways in which you've drawn on archives in your own research. But I think what's also great is that it raises a couple of really interesting questions too that I think are of real importance when we're we're trying to understand how archives might be deployed in research. So there's I guess the there's the question of what a what an archive is and you've we'll kind of come back to that and you've kind of alluded to the boxes and the documents and the catalogues and all of these things but you've also alluded to the photos and the materials and and even the 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 oral histories that lie beyond those institutionally held collections there's also the question of how an archive might work alongside an actual physical environment or landscape and and offer you a way to make sense of that landscape but also in turn visiting and and exploring that landscape on the ground might help you to understand what some of these documents are and then you also kind of touched on and again i think something we can come back to the 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 challenges of working in the archive be that and and this is something i vividly remember from the first time i did any kind of archival work of sitting down um and opening a, a box of materials and just thinking well what what am i supposed to be looking for and how do i know what's useful and what's relevant but also the the really frustrating gaps that you encounter and i think um as you mentioned with your own project when there are people who are still around who you can talk to who you can speak to that offers a, a way of of kind of trying to fill in some of the absences going beyond some of the limits of of the materials that have been collected but if your project is out with living memory or concerns an environment that no longer exists that you can't go and visit to, then you start to come up against these questions of how do I fill in those gaps? So maybe we can work through some of those questions in turn. What, what is an archive? I think it's a word that gets used um, a lot in research and it's someone who's coming to geography, who's coming to study as a student and is hearing this term might not actually know what, what it is that we're referring to. What do you think, what do you understand of as an archive? I would say that it's a repository. I think of it as a collection in usually in one place. I think of it as a collection of things that somebody or some group of people have decided are significant. It may be that that collection has been retained because of some law or some other sort of regulation, but a lot of the time with archives we are dealing with what one or a group of people subjectively decided was significant. The question of what constitutes an archive is is, is an interesting one because I think we should we should probably say that it, we can go beyond this idea of like it's a library, it's a mm. local archive, it's a museum, it's a university library, it's a, a business, it's not mm. an organisation. And actually, we could start to look at like what happens when individual people have their own collections of stuff. You know, those those can be, I don't know, 
I think it's it's debatable whether you can call like a person who collected crisp and sweet wrappers from the 1970s, <laughs> whether that's an archive. I mean, mm. it, it's a historical record and, and actually quite a sort of um, a sort of valuable one because that kind of ephemera is is often not kept by the likes of museums or mm. by local archives. Because of course, what we should also say is. When we say local archive and, and, and indeed national archive, we are talking about government records. Mm. We, we're talking about records that government activity have generated, mm. births, marriages and deaths and all that, but also all the other activities and all the delivery of policy that government undertake and stuff. So there's a world beyond all of that. Yeah. And in fact, what I began to kind of address with this research project was that very question of, okay, this is one way of seeing this new town. Mm. These photographs, these documents are all coming from a fairly small number of people in this development corporation. Mm. A lot of it is them talking to other development corporations of other new towns in, in Britain. So it's, it's, it's this world mm. of planners, of architects, of landscape designers. What I started to think about was, okay, this is, we're talking about a lived space now. This, this particular new town was designated by central government in 1968, and we can now look back. It's 54, 55 years old. We can go and talk to residents, and that's what I attempted to do, mm. and I'm still attempted to do that. It's this sort of a process. It's, mm. a, it's something that I've kind of done on a very much a part-time basis over the last few years. So getting the residents to kind of give their oral histories but also their archives mm. so what i ended up doing was actually the first exhibition that was put on was in one space the newtown development corporation photographs and the family photographs ultimately of the residents who lived in this new town from the 70s onwards and for me it was about having a situation where two different archives were mm. in i don't know if you could say a dialogue or a confrontation mm. of some kind but what you were struck by was the development corporation photographs there is nobody in these mm. photographs they are empty spaces mm. they're built the built environment it's often pictures of, of a finished built environment but often before anyone's moved in all manner of different things come up as a result of understanding this this place as a lived space on the research blog what i've attempted to do is establish a new archive the people's archive i've called it whereby you know people are invited to kind of um, donate there mm. not just the photographs but it's been things like rent books it's been the funny little document the little booklet that the um, residents got when they first moved into mm. the new town to tell them what kind of species they should be planting in their gardens and things like this it's a manner all manner of different things that mm. um show that this is a, is also a lived space and what that brings about i think in terms of archives is you're thinking about like there are absences in this this local archive and i'm i'm trying to bring those absences out by mm. basically creating this other archive I, 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 but I, I would say that i'm not trying to do anything that is like rendered a complete no. you know no. version it's just there are voices that are that archive yeah. and there are I personally know that there are other ways of knowing this mm. place. It's really interesting to hear some of the different collections that you've kind of drawn from in your research. And I think we start to get a sense of the, the distinction between, I guess, an archive, as in a specific trove of materials, documents, often written documents, but not necessarily only written documents, could be images, could be objects, could be the, the, the archive of living memory of oral history, could be a particular place and the traces that are left on the ground the landscape as archive so the distinction between a, an archive a specific documentary collection that we consult for information and, and i guess the archive that characterizes our our particular research project which might involve 
several such collections that by reading across uh, these collections and, and as you say by putting those collections in conversation with each other we can start to reconstruct something of a place something of the relationships that characterize that place we can get different accounts different perspectives different views onto that environment and we can potentially address some of the gaps in this collection with some of the information in that collection and i think what's also really interesting is is you know the way in which you've navigated between those more or less kind of official archives if you like so um, as you mentioned, the existence of, of government records uh, that are amassed and, as part of the process of govern, governing the state that are then collected and collated and which under certain conditions we can access and that might give us some certain information. There are then also those, those archives that might pertain to the activities of an organisation. So in my own research, looking at conservation organisations, visiting their, their headquarters and accessing some of their records that relate to past activity that give a sense of that organization and its personnel what they've been doing at different points in time there's also the the personal archive the archive that that an individual or maybe a community collates referring to its own activities there there are more or less formal or informal kinds of archives and there are some archives that we create in the course of doing our own research we are the ones who instigates the gathering together of this material exactly as you've discussed with your people's archive project on on the blog for for anyone listening to this you can obviously get a sense of of an archive is not one single thing but it might be useful to differentiate between an archive as a particular collection or gathering of materials and the archive that accompanies a particular research project as all of the materials that we have identified and pulled together to try and make sense of this particular historical geography And each of those different um, kinds of archive brings with it practical questions of how we negotiate access to, how we identify their whereabouts, how we work within them. Um, what what are your reflections from your own research about working in the more quote unquote of official archives? So the archives for the um, the the building corporation you mentioned. Um, that experience of going into this kind of archival collection and you know being a bit kind of overwhelmed by these boxes of stuff and um, where was where was that collection how did you kind of track it down and, and what was your experience of kind of accessing it well the 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 archive for warrington new town development corporation is held by um, a local archive in chester so the way it kind of works is you've got your national archive in Kew in south london and that's your kind of like Westminster-based government records. And then you've got your local archives, which is kind of local government archives. And I really, I'm struggling to remember. I know that it was about, just about three months after I started here at York St. John. And I remember sitting in my office looking for the first time at the website of the um, Chester Local Archive and being incredibly excited to find that they had huge amounts of holdings on, on this um, new town. And, and working my way through it and making a list of, of all the different boxes I wanted to look at going there uh, about like maybe a month later or something and just get being kind of like struck by how it wasn't a case of going and looking at shelves you had to ask for certain boxes 
they had to have that in advance because um, some of them were held off site in this salt mine in Northwich uh, in Cheshire. Some of these salt mines are evidently used now as archives, possibly because they're kind of maybe dark, cold, dry, I don't know. But they had to go and, and get these things from this, the, this salt mine. And then, yeah, it was it was just a case of like, what I then had to do was take one box at a time and with my white gloves on, be looking through this box. And when, and, and the pressure of thinking, I have to make up my mind today if this is significant. So what I was allowed to do was take lots of photographs of documents. And that's what I did. And I, I did that so that I didn't have to read them all on the day. But what it did mean was that I've got a computer that's full of photographs. At first, I was taking photographs of everything. But it is such a comprehensive archive. And in fact, it's almost catalogued in terms of different narratives so that there's a whole box about how they decided upon the resident designation policy is what they, how they called it, which is how they decided on who would be kind of targeted, if you like. Um, so what local authorities would be interested in having their residents move to this new town? You're you're, I mean, very much putting your own subjective understanding onto these documents as you're reading through them. In my own case, because I grew up in that place, my breakthrough moment with, with the official archive was was the photographs because mm. I thought this is this is the thing that is going to immediately speak to residents of Warrington, and I'm going to use this. I vividly remember working in archives and and taking a huge amount of images and scans and photocopies. And then later leafing through that material and being like, <laughs> why did I take this? Mm. Or what What am I going to do with this? Mm. And that feeling of delaying the inevitable of actually having to work out what was and wasn't relevant. I definitely uh, sympathise with that. I also really uh, recognise that breakthrough feeling of that finding, suddenly finding a, a document or a collection of documents or, or an object or something that suddenly helps recontextualize or put a different spin on or, or open up the topic or you know just triangulate all of this other material how did you find the process of of engaging with members of the community and and um you know asking them to share their uh, documents their images their memories um was that process fairly straightforward were what what was the process and and how did you kind of ensure i guess that you negotiated perhaps some of the ethical questions that that kind of raises it's really interesting specifically about warrington that as a kind of town as a sort of maybe a local authority stroke arm's length kind of cultural organizations that are operating running the libraries and the art galleries there they've not got a fantastic record for for actually making the the really rich and varied history of that town particularly accessible mm. a lot of it's done by volunteers cuts to public spending budgets have really mm. um flattened out the, the possibilities of making these things kind of accessible for mm. like broad numbers of people so it's challenging but i think say you, you've got another project that perhaps is the the history of a particular activist group for example um, a small number of committed individuals who are behind the idea of like let's create this archive that becomes a lot more accessible as an mm. idea um their their materials are you know in their garages in their homes and stuff it, it becomes a lot more accessible it entirely depends on who you're working with and what you're trying to find out in the early days of the project in the run-up to the first exhibition which took place in the summer of 2018 and actually ran until january of 2019 I did a series of kind of engagement days, events where 
I would, um, through social media, advertise that I had a stall in the local shopping centre one day. I also had a, a day where I was asking people to bring their stuff so that I could photograph it um, at a local nature reserve. And that was the beginning of the of the project. Then through social media, other people got in contact. And in fact, I, I was made um, aware of a guy who was in a local, like a, a, a photography club back in about 1976. He ended up giving me about 50 photographs, but they were a little bit more interesting than the family stuff because it was him as a kind of teenager trying dif mm. different kind of tricks with his camera and photographing um, areas that actually we had development corporation photographs of as well. So it was literally two different perspectives of mm. the same space and stuff like that. So some, some really great stuff came out of that process. It sounds like you'd you'd had some real success then identifying kind of local groups and, and social media is so useful these days you know there's there's always a <laughs> a facebook group for a local community that that might provide a way in to gather together some of those individuals who might have documents memories artifacts to share but equally might put you in touch with you know that key individual who happens to be the gatekeeper to a whole trove of, of images or documents mm. presume it sounds like those individuals were you know more than happy for their images to be part of uh, of a project to be part of an exhibition i guess as for them an opportunity to celebrate their history and celebrate their their town i think it's really an exciting prospect to embark on research where perhaps the aim may well be to create an archive within a group there's there's all sorts of potential there. It becomes a resource for the group, for, for for the community. It becomes a resource for other people wanting to know about that group. With archives, they tend to they tend to kind of create a sense of value um, yeah. on upon history. The issue for me arises here is how do residents kind of think or apprehend the idea of like their own lived experience as being valuable and mm. having some kind of historical or heritage mm. value, because a lot of these people, this is in living memory kind of heritage stuff that we're talking about, they may not perceive it themselves as being of some kind of historical worth. Mm. I think that's really interesting, the kind of potential of, of uh, archives or archiving or, or even just working in archives and disseminating that information to change people's perceptions of their own community yeah. and to... Uh, you know, mounting an exhibition based on work in an archive that you've kind of assembled through your project to then try to encourage people in a community to reflect on and, and find new meaning in, in their surroundings or, or see their surroundings slightly differently. Yeah, I guess that kind of suggests the, the political potential of working in archives, but particularly working with community or, or personal archives. I think what's great about your project too is it, it really kind of nicely illustrates the way in which the archive and archival methods they work really effectively in combination with other methods i think particularly when we're talking about near history but even you know further back um and that question of how we how we start to address some of the absences or gaps in the archive um you know that that's where we as geographers being often in many ways inherently interdisciplinary or at least willing to venture across disciplinary lines and methodological lines um, can start to pull together information from a variety of sources to fill out those gaps and I think um, I, I similarly had an experience of research in the archive complemented with oral history type interviews one definitely 
enhance the other and vice versa being able to go into an interview with an, a real kind of deep knowledge or or at least more of a knowledge and understanding of what had happened of what events had taken place when helped me be alive to the potential for further discussions in those interviews but equally some of sometimes those interviews served as like the key to unlock the archive and suddenly a whole host of documents or events or obs- seemingly obscure mentions became much more <laughs> became yeah which were were recast and and um, I, I could suddenly make sense of a whole host of things in a way that I hadn't been able to before. There's, there's, um, there's a really kind of funny thing that happens when you talk to people who you've, you've read their words, you've read their records in an archive, and you're able to talk to them. I mean, from seeing what, they, what their working lives, what they were doing 40 years ago to, to their perspectives now, and I suppose what that makes you reflect on is your own preconceptions of how you thought they would think of it now sort of thing it becomes a lovely way of reflecting on mm. your your practice as a researcher mm. but also yeah in in this in living memory stuff yeah how people reflect on mm. their own working lives as well archives are really important for that So I think it's worth acknowledging some of the challenges or the, or the limits of archival research and, and particularly the question of absences. I think uh, something that I've read recently that, that really I find really helpful in terms of elaborating and exploring that kind of question, but also the, the question of how we can address those absences was uh, a piece by uh, Case Watkins and, and Judith Carney in, in Antipode where they talk about some of the work that's been done looking at the cultivation of rice in the Americas and trying to uh, rediscover the agency of West African, particularly slaves, in introducing and, and starting to cultivate rice in the Americas. And what was fascinating about that paper was it, it raised some really in, important and interesting questions about the way in which, particularly in a, in a colonial context, archives they are the relations of power that defined empire solidified and so if you're trying to research the history of empire through an imperial archive you are you are doing research with a whole host of documents that were not only developed and and written in the course of producing and reproducing the empire and and its various processes of subjugation and inequality but you're also going to be dealing with documents that reflect a very specific and partial worldview and exclude a huge amount of information about the experience of those people living under the rule of empire, be those everyday Europeans or perhaps more significantly the variety of indigenous peoples whose lands were uh, colonised and whose um, existence was uh, often quite violently and traumatically shaped by empire. But I think that question of absence, you know, it, it, it most palpably felt in the context of non-European voices in, in researching the historical geographies of empire is also is, is a question that comes through across a lot of archive work. And, you know, there must have been a, a sense in your own research, I guess you've, you've kind of already hinted to it, in, in those those 
governmental archives documenting the process of constructing the new town that's very much the kind of state's view the top-down view of this community there's a whole host of stories and voices that are not included in that that you've had to seek out through other archives but also through other methods you know oral history being a, a key one there were there any particular absences that that you were conscious of in in the documents that you were reading and engaging with and and what was the what was the kind of means by which you tried to address those or, or think around those i think the absence question is just there from the very very beginning I mean, okay, I came to this project with a certain conceptual framework that I was working with and I'm still working with, and that would be like the kind of Lefevrian idea of the way in which one place can be can be all of these different things. It can be imagined and, and become real through your imagination. It becomes real through the daily sort of movement through space, the daily ways that it's shaped and hewn through people doing their their daily activities. And it becomes real through the fact that at one point in history, a group of largely male planners and architects designed this place. Now, what you were saying about the rice cultivation um, research, it makes me think of quite an important point. But, you know, the idea of the archive itself being an imperial project. So if you're thinking about like all of the ways in which we have in our minds our own history, our own memories, our own family history... Um, much of that may well be just stories that are told. And clearly there are, you know, entire civilizations and cultures that are kind of more based on oral history, oral methods, oral communication, as opposed to any kind of written records. To sort of transpose that to the sort of Newtown stuff, um, and my mum kept the rent book that they had when they first moved into the to the development corporation built house in 1980 that they still live in today it shows what what they were paying in rent in, in back in those days it's it's a social it's the kind of social record that you may as an object you may see that in something like the people's history museum in salford or something like that it's 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 giving you information it shows you the way things were organized and and it also speaks about the fact that these people one of the things that you were interviewed before you got one of these development corporation houses and what they were trying to assess was, are you employable? Are you, are you kind of um, astute enough to be able to get a job and to work and to actually have one of these homes and stuff? Yeah, it, it speaks of all of those things. So, but I think that the idea of the absence and the gaps, that was absolutely there from the beginning for me. And I think the idea of having some kind of other way of knowing this place was probably a, a kind of a founding kind of motivation for me really mm. because you know that y you kind of read you, you kind of get involved in kind of teaching the sort of history of planning and the history of housing and you see that so much of it is actually written by the people who designed the houses and those people they design one thing and then they very much go to a different geographical location and start designing something new somewhere else and their entire careers are about creating something new and for millions and billions of people around the world, it's about living in those places, you know. Mm. And it's about understanding something of the evolution of those places as well. It, you know, it's not about, like, going to an archive and looking for something that nobody's ever found before. It's about understanding there is a gap here because of the project of that particular archive. The archive was set up and records something for a, a, a small number of people in power. Mm there's some really interesting things coming through in what you're saying there i think particularly the ways in which you can use 
archival document. There are lots of different ways you can use archival documents. In the context of, of studying the histories of colonialism and, and subaltern studies, you know, Spivak has that famous phrase of kind of, you know, reading against the grain, right? And that idea, I think, of looking at something like a rent book and seeing it not only as, as a record of rent paid, but as an object, as a device that was used in a particular time, was part of everyday life and therefore might be read slightly differently. One could think about, okay, well, how did this object work as part of a broader, uh, you know, everyday social geography in this place where you have to have this documentation and you are under the uh, authority of this particular local organization and they are using these documents to kind of as part of the infrastructure of regulating yeah, this place and who lives there. There's a huge amount of like regulation going on. I mean that's one of the again that's one of the things that I came to. What you what you nicely touched on that the fact that different archives serve different purposes and and tell different stories and and a study that deploys one or other archive in isolation is going to reveal a very different historical geography to another um again talking you know to the example of the the Watkins and Carney piece the kind of traditional historical account of the cultivation of rice in America on slave plantations you know kind of strips west africans of any agency in that process but that's in part because of the sources that historians were traditionally drawing on and if you draw on you know um oral histories if you draw on genomic analysis of rice strains if you draw on you know artifacts materials the kind of use of particular tools shovels if you draw on an analysis of the physical landscape itself and how landscapes in West Africa were being organised for rice cultivation um, thousands of years prior to the introduction of these practices in, in America, by expanding your definition of what constitutes the archive and by turning your gaze beyond just the official imperial archive, you transform quite radically the kinds of stories, the kinds of accounts that you're able to tell. I think as well, you know, there's that there's that sense that increasingly that official archives, official accounts, they don't capture the the ordinary, the everyday geographies and existences of people. And, and it is then to the personal archive, the, the kind of informal archive that we turn to try to flesh out that geography. You mentioned the example of, you know, um, someone gathering sweet wrappers and ephemera. And, you know, can we consider that an archive? And I would say, yes, we can, because it does reveal something about, you know, the specific things that are meaningful to an individual in the course of their everyday life, their interactions with their surroundings. And it, again, the question is not, is this an archive? To me, that's not the most interesting question. The question is, what can we do with this? You know, how might we, quote unquote, read this? How might we get beyond the notion of the archive as just comprising dry written documents kept in a salt mine? If we think of an archive as solely composed of written text, exactly as you say, that excludes all of those people's cultures, activities across the vast spread of history and geography that aren't written down. Um, and so much of ordinary everyday existence, never mind you know the cultural variation, is not written down, is tacit, is lived. And so thinking about how we recover those experiences from the archive, I think, is, is central.
think it's a really important point to kind of finish on is is to briefly reflect on the ethical questions that working in archives raise because exactly as you uh have suggested throughout this discussion there are a whole host of kind of histories and stories and experiences that constitute the historical geography of a place and some of those to revisit to talk about to write about might be traumatic might be very sensitive equally to kind of pull certain stories out of an archive and present them in the cold light of day might be upsetting for some we can't we can't get consent from those people by and large who've produced a lot of documents particularly if those people are no longer around or where our documents refer to a longer history and there is a question of you know taking documents out of context perhaps and and reading them shorn of the context in which they were written uh, or the context in which those documents were intended to operate as as things that that did things that organized the world that that subjectified particular individuals in all sorts of ways i would like to mention one paper that i think is great for um introducing people to some of the kind of methodological but also ethical issues to do with using archives it's called Tales from the Archive, Methodological and Ethical Issues in Historical Geography Research, and it's by Frances Moore, uh, 2009. It's it's a fascinating piece. She, she writes about her PhD research, which was about trying to f- figure out and find out more about illegal abortions in Lancashire in the late 19th century. And she was suggesting that uh, one of the kind of obstacles she came up against quite early on was actually the the archivists in the local libraries and local archives themselves who were concerned that her research about illegal abortions in Lancashire were, were somehow going to uh, reflect badly on Lancashire and she actually came up against a few obstacles when she returned to to different archives and, and said I'm looking at women's history at herbal medicine wise women all of these different categorizations that actually existed in the archive she was in there and finding out about these illegal abortions but in in the way that they were categorized in the archive was under all of these more sort of benign um kind of like categories so it, that again it poses all sorts of really interesting questions about like how we access mm. knowledge uh, particularly when it might be yeah sensitive knowledge and stuff that Moore paper is a, a great paper. I remember reading that in the course of my own PhD, and uh, I think, yeah, definitely, we'll we'll flag that as a reading. I, I think it's really useful for students to have a look at that. So. How to conclude our uh, discussion. To recap, archives variously understood comprise stores or collections of material, perhaps formally held and gathered, perhaps informally collated, personally or institutionally managed, or even temporarily gathered together for the purposes of a particular project that in various ways trace the many interactions between a whole variety of actors and spaces at particular times. They can be contemporary tools amassed to address a silence or an absence in our collective awareness or memory. Working in archives can be challenging. The initial foray into a dusty reading room or a scroll through an online catalogue of digitised materials or being allowed to dig through some boxes in an office, a garage or a bedroom can be overwhelming. 
but taking the time to focus one's attention in some way as well as remaining open to and curious about the lines of inquiry that arise and lead us in different directions all these things help to make the process a little bit more manageable archival sources are not neutral these are documents objects materials even landscapes that were produced by or for specific interests they were produced in particular contexts and there's always a political dimension to the material that survives and that which does not we also need to be alert to the partiality of the archive it's not possible for a collection to speak of everyone's perspectives or understandings or their experience of a historical period it might then be more productive for us to think in terms either of archives, plural, or the archived and the unarchived histories of our social worlds, the stories that are excluded, the stories that are simply not told, and what they reveal about the resources we're using and the variety of ways that those absences might be addressed, for example, through other sources, other more creative, speculative practices of reading or using these materials, maybe even other geographical research methods combined in novel ways. To help you further develop an understanding of the concepts or methods discussed in this episode, we've flagged some readings of interest. Details are available via the podcast notes and on the YSJ Geography blog website, where you'll also find links to other past and future episodes of the podcast. For now, many thanks for listening. We look forward to seeing you soon. Remember, in the words of Doreen Massey, Geography Matters. Thank you.